this episode, we are going to be talking about spooky movies, obviously being October and what have you. Uh, Brock and I both chose five, but I think over the two weeks when we haven't been recording, the elephant in the theater has been Don't Worry Darling. Brock just wrote <laughs> some number of words out on uh, whydoesthewilhelmscream.com. You got and read those as, as well. Um, but yeah, give me your take. I, 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 so when I saw this, and you saw it before me, yeah. I, it was, like I said, I, we, I think we have to discuss this movie um, just because clearly it is, it's part of the zeitgeist and, and, and also there's, it is a thing that is trying to do something and it does it so, so very poorly. I haven't seen a movie this poorly executed in I don't know how long. Yeah, it, it, it is part of the popular discourse and the popular discussion. And I really wanted to like this film. I really right. I was it has a, Florence I, Pugh in it. It has Florence Pugh in it, but it has Chris Pine in it. It's directed by Olivia Wilde, whose work I want to like. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean I was like when it first when I first saw the the trailer, I think it was at Men. Um when I went to see sense. Men, it was the trailer um for Men. And I really I was like, oh this will be great. This this looks this looks really cool. And yeah, Florence Pugh, Chris Pine. Harry Styles. I was inter- interested to see what he did, and I hated it. I I just well, hate is a strong word. I mean, no, no, I, you're right. I, when you when you should say that, you absolutely should hate I, that. And let me say to our listener and sirs, maybe possibly, that if you have not seen Don't Worry, Darling, or any of the movies we're going to talk about today on the podcast, which probably goes without saying, all the movies we talk about here, period, mm-hmm. uh, we're going to spoil them. I mean, I, I, don't yes. think, I don't think how we can talk about this without spoiling. It. No. So I'm going to go ahead and say, if you haven't seen Don't Worry, Darling, uh skip ahead and and uh, there'll be more discourse on things you can listen to and then come back and come back and listen to it when you have seen it but and if, when you've hated it as well yeah but if you if you don't know this, if you if you haven't had this movie spoiled for you, like, right. are, are you and, living under a rock is kind of the, the <laughs> well, question. Well, and they almost did it themselves, right? Here's the thing, yes. and again, not to jump ahead of you. No, but it's like, okay. Um, like, them tipping their hands where Olivia Wilde is saying, well, Chris Pine is clearly this Jordan Peterson-esque. Okay, that is a huge spoiler <laughs> to this movie. You go in thinking this is Lost, Stepford-wise. Right. A t- thousand right. Twilight Zone, a thousand right. different things that are better than this thing that you're going to watch. Right. But it is executed for the first, I'm going to say 70, 75 minutes really, really well. And again, a lot of that is on Florence Pugh's shoulders, right? The, and, and the set dressing for sure, but she is putting in a performance where you are invested. You want to know her story. You want to, you want to protect her in the ways you're supposed to, you know, you, that you, and, and like, and again, you want, you're rooting for her, right? That, and, and so, and if that all comes from I don't think that that comes from her. All of it comes from her and her carrying this script hundred percent. Well, her her character is not that complex, right? It, it, well, and none of the characters are. <laughs> so you do want to you want to know more about her. You want to follow her. You want to dig into her story. I mean, this is one of those something's not quite right here films, right? Right? Yeah. And and you're just kind of like, oh, okay. Tell me more. Let's find out. But it's never, it's never creepy enough. It's never, it never digs in when it gives little flashes of when, when the, when she, when Florence Pugh's cleaning the, glass the windows, the glass yeah. wall, right. And it, it squeezes in on here. You're like, could you be any more kind of obvious with your metaphor here? I, that that's where, I don't know. I, I think I gave it an hour after an hour. I was like, I'm not into this. I'm not, I'm not, it looks pretty. And I'm interested in her acting, right. but nothing else is carrying me. No, I don't care about Harry Styles' character. I don't. I, I. I'm interested in these other characters because they don't fucking exist. Right. I mean, the way that they're written, they don't exist. They're nothing, yeah, and they they're, could be so interesting. And I think that's the 
problem I have with this movie is that once you get to the ultimate reveal, which comes with about 30 minutes left, which either should have happened a lot sooner what? or a lot later. Right. It should right. have, it should have like, like if you, and then to contrast it with something like Alex Garland's men, which, and again, I don't like being in the position of being, <laughs> saying that a white male director <laughs> told this story better than Olivia but, Wilde. No, but you're. But he does, and again, that's maybe that's a little dis. Maybe it's a little bit of a disservice to to the to the community. But just he does this so much better. And again, I'm not saying that Men is a perfect movie. No, but but it is. It's open for interpretation enough that when you walk out of that movie, at least you're talking about it. When I walked out of Don't Worry, Darling, I was sitting there going, "What they were trying? I get what they were trying to say, but in the way that they were trying to say it, none of it makes sense whatsoever. No, and and it and it and it belittles and belies their entire point the way that they actually told it. Right. Also, I think I think it's kind of um I don't think it goes nearly far enough. I think the basic message comes down to men want to keep women in the 50s and I'm like fuck off. Like okay, of course, right? But seriously, that's it and that's and that's all you're going to dig into. I mean, we can talk about the sort of banality of evil in these kinds of ideas, but to not make it more nefarious than that. To not really dig into, okay, maybe that's it. Maybe it's as as puny of an idea as that, but that's still bad enough. Dig into that more and right. and give me a more complex Jordan Peterson, you know, oh, he has tears now. Sorry, did you see him cry? Because <laughs> yeah. also the other thing that, that really pissed me off, <laughs> this is strong coming from like a white dude. Something that really kind of, it did irk me was, you know, Olivia Wilde talking about all the female sexual pleasure in this film. And and she's going oh, like out talking like, about and, and, this. And I'm yeah. showing something and I'm that's... Like, right, this is, this is kind of, you know, radical and revolutionary and, like, men don't come in this film. And it's like, well, no, because they use sex to shut women up. Right. I'm like, so you're proud of this? Like, what? Yeah, well, I did it, not it, understand it to, that, her talking about it, that. It, it that goes way. to the point of that I don't think that any of the analysis of what they thought they were trying to go beyond was, hey, here's a thing that's bad in the news. Let's use that as our big boogeyman. Okay, you've got incels. Okay, okay, fine. Let's dig yeah. into that. Yeah. But no, all you want to do is show them. And now it's one woman's plight and, and, and a plight that once you ultimately uncover and, and it, you, it doesn't make any sense. No, it, it like the big reveal of Harry Styles has has drugged and imprisoned his doctor wife in a you know a virtual reality world, and that he has to go off each day to make money to be able to pay for this virtual reality world <laughs> to keep her subjugated to him because he's afraid that she's going to realize that he's a piece of shit and that he, eventually she's going to leave him. Like it's so insulting on so so many levels. And also, I mean, I know we've had the conversation off mic, but like, and again, I'm not advocating for Shia LaBeouf, but Harry Styles is is terrible in this role. He brings nothing to the table. And again, I don't, yeah. I don't know if he's a good actor or not. If he, but this role being directed by his lover does not serve him at all. No. And again, he's the Shia LaBeouf type. And again, keeping all the things about Shia LaBeouf on the other well, side of it. Because he is a piece of shit. Right. And he is foreboding and, and menacing. He, right. Yeah. It's, it, there's a, there's something to that. Whereas if you had a cast, 
you know, I forget the lead actor's name in men, but like someone like that, the, the intent would be that again, there's, there should be Florence Pugh at no point in her, her relationship that we're shown with Harry Styles is anything but overly loving. She's a little frustrated, but again, just because she's worked along a double shift and he's, um, you know, not cleaned up around it's again, these are these, it's these simplistic things, but again, and ultimately I'm going back to like, when I walked out of the theater, I'm like, okay, Chris Pine is Jordan Peterson. But really, he's not because he's not trying to he's trying to make money and profit off these incels. Say what you will about Jordan Peterson. That's not who that guy is. He's not. I mean, he's using it to prop his his own ego up. But that's but again, and I don't want to get into that, really. But so so Chris Pine has has tied himself to this scientist who's developed this world changing technology. And what we're going to use it for (laughs) is to to foster uh MAGA type environment for this 50s, going back to the 50s environment to keep women in their place and allow men who are normally emasculated in the real world to be able to have a very brief respite in time where these where these women that that they don't feel like they sh- that they should or would be able to get in the real world then are then are at their disposal. But then of course you know mental breaks start to happen. Again, there is a interesting story here. There is an in- there's a lot to uncover that they do nothing with it. Nothing with nothing with nothing. I mean, really nothing about identity. It's basically like incels. I suck, man. <laughs> Right. I mean, that's what it, that's what it comes yeah. down to. And and like, but we we never see how they get there either. What I mean is, we never see how Harry Styles' character goes from kind of sad sack. I can't get a good job to take care of you. To I will just keep you imprisoned, but I have to go out and work to 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 keep up the payments for the virtual. I don't right. Get, like, and, and these guys that's a big jump. These guys aren't incels either. That this is not what they are. They're just men who want to again the Stepford Wives. And again, I know we had this conversation as well. Th- yeah. This movie. Shows its hands so quickly, and also then shows its influences to movies that are just so much better. Even The Stepford Wife, which is not a great movie, right. is better than this. You, I mean, Logan's Run, Westworld, right. all right. of these I'm, things that they're trying to show, Get Out. I mean, these are all million time better than this movie. And 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 that's the thing too is that I wanted to like it, and when I sat there the first hour, I was like, okay, maybe I will. And then no, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely, all of yeah. it fell apart. Yeah, that's that was the other thing that got me was that it, it's clearly showing its hand on influence. But it to its detriment, all I think about is those influences, right? I don't right. think about how it disappears and sort of then reemerges as something new, but it's well, and that's the thing too. Like, you know, again, and you, we could we could argue this back and forth all day long. <laughs> right, right. Like you don't set it in mid-century United States if you don't want it to be compared to the Stepford Wives. Right. You don't, And you don't need right. to either. You could have said it in Midwestern, you know. It uh, wouldn't have mattered, right? It wouldn't right. have mattered where you put it be- because of what you're trying to convey. You can do that. And, and then don't tie it into technology. There's this really shitty John Travolta, John Travolta, Ari Gross film called The Professionals, or I forget exactly what it's called. It's the pretend, I don't know, where they play this rock and roll group, but they end up being this 1950s town. Like the Rus- Russian mob is set it up inside of Russia, not mob, the Russian government is set it up in Russia, but everyone thinks they're in the United States. It's this whole like, <laughs> oh, okay, we're okay, breeding right, right, like right. communism. It's a, it's a terrible movie. But I mean, again, just to that point, you don't have to, you don't have to have this to be 1950s where women yeah. will be, I mean, look, the better commentary, women that are voting against their own self-interest, like, again, like, there's there's so much to unpeel here and unpack and, and like, actually talk about, and you do nothing with it. And, and some of these characters that we never, I mean, again, something else that I thought was, frankly, kind of insulting was Kiki Lane's character, yeah. who's the... <laughs> 
really the only character of color who is like a sacrificial well, lamb. Only, only female character of color. Right? Okay. Yeah. Yes. Right. True. Yeah. The only female character of color. And she becomes the sacrificial lamb so that Florence Pugh can be sort of like the white savior. To well, and not only that, but her. And again, you don't say anything about it. You don't. You don't give any sort of heaviness to it. So, but her exit from the screen is a suicide, which then speaks really poorly about actually what you're trying to say as well. Right. It's crazy. There's just all these questions of like, why did you make that choice? And you clearly made that choice. And then to then talk about these things afterwards, like they're empowering. Right. To, stand up, on, to like, stand up on your soapbox and talk about how, you know, we showed Harry Styles going down on Florence Pugh. And that, uh, I mean, that's uh, clearly we're pro women. I mean, that means something, right? Right. And I'm not calling Olivia Wilde anti-woman. I just and, think uh, that like these comments no, the are message, like misguided. Course, but, right, this no, is, yeah. but it's basically like second wave feminism. It's sort of what she's referencing. Yeah. It's, it's no more advanced than that. It's an ivory tower looked down upon a, a, a really, you know, a real We can have jobs don't. too. <laughs> so we're in October. Yes, and, and, it's and, and, spooky season. And scary movies are abound. Um, and, and here's what we're here to do. So Brock and I both brought five movies to the table and we're going to talk about five of them today. Uh, we'll put those in the show notes so you can go out and see them before we talk about them. Especially if you don't want to have them spoiled for you or if you want to be able to stream them, that sort of thing. We'll put that out in the show notes. So we're going to do a grab bag. Brock bought five. I brought five. And then we're just going to talk about them. Uh, like I said, and we'll do five. We'll do five next week as well. And All then right. we've got a whole slate of things to talk about. Uh, real quick before we get started. One of the movies we're going to be talking about is Let the Right One In, which will be showing uh, at Stage West in Fort Worth for the Fort Worth Film Club on October 26th. 26th. That's correct. Yes, I was going to say 28, but that's not right. 26th. Wednesday the 26th. Show starts at 7. Um, Pre-show starts at 7. Show starts at 7.30. If you're in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, we'd love to see you out there. All right, let's get started. So we've got a we've got a set of pieces of paper, and we're just going to, I'm, I'm assuming <laughs> you yeah. shuffled these before I got so, here. So oh, I shuffled them. I, I wrote the name of each movie on there. I didn't have a hat. No, no, no. That's fine. I'm, 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 so I'm going to take just, one and then we'll just round robin. Perfect, perfect. All right. The first movie we're going to pick here, and I'm just, uh, I don't know why I'm shuffling like it actually matters. But the first I movie is, them. oh, perfect. This leads right into my fucking, oh, don't worry, darling. Okay. This is House of Darkness, the new Neil LeBute film starring Kate Bosworth and Justin Long. Yeah. It, do, do you want to give the premise uh, of so the, the film? Or? It's very simple. It is it, it, it is a gentleman picks up a woman at a bar. Um, they, Gentleman's being kind. Right. A male picks up a, a woman at a bar. They head back to her gothic mansion out in a who knows what kind of wooded, scary area. And then the typical dance between man and woman happens and lies are abound and, and yeah, people are trying to figure each one another out. And it turns out, obviously, that the castle and the woman have secrets as well as Justin Long does as well but her secrets tend to be a little bit more dangerous and a little bit more confusing and so it's a typical <laughs> it's it's so yeah it's, I mean it's it is it is a it is a 30 minute tells from the crypt or a 15 minute tells from the crypt segment that's drawn out to an hour and 30 and change it's been done a million times better in a million different movies go watch vampires the y-e-r-s movie go watch daughters oh, right. of darkness yeah, yeah, yeah. there's yeah. Yeah. watch yeah. any sort of British uh, mm -hmm. horror from the 70s mm -hmm. where there's psychosexual elements to it um this i i you didn't like this you didn't like this film <laughs> I, I was on the fence no no, no, no. The, but this is interesting because it's gotten actually like really good reviews has it yes from I like from like I, real from like real i can't imagine how uh rogerdeeper.com gave it three stars it did what did they uh, have to say i would i'm gonna have to go read it because so I, I mean, 
Here's one of the other things, mm-hmm. but, but kind of the opposite of what you, <laughs> what you said. Oh, really? So one thing it did, and, and, and I've heard, I saw some other critics do this too, was that it compared it more favorably to uh, Promising Young Woman. No. In so, fact, I saw that and was thinking, that's a, I mean, that movie kicked ass. This movie is oh, god awful. So, people said the opposite. They, they didn't like Promising Young Woman? Yeah. No, I mean, they, I, they, they said that this handled kind of that idea better. But so, like, but back to what you said about a man sort of tackling this, this idea better than a woman. I'm not, I'm not, I don't know that I'd go that far, right? But sort of how we talked about men and Don't Worry Darling, right. critics were doing the same thing with House of Darkness and Promising Young Woman, it. which I found. Interesting. And I mean, I I don't know. I didn't, I wasn't a huge fan of Promising Young Woman because I fucking hated the ending of that movie. Right. But, right. But I thought, and again, we're not going to talk about the movie we're actually supposed to be talking about. I (laughs) thought Carrie and Bo Burnham were really good. I thought their dynamic was good. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Look, Promising Young Woman, yeah, I don't, the the ending was so heavy handed. Up until that point, though, I thought that her revenge pieces were actually really well done, especially the one on Alison Brie. I thought, I thought, I, I liked the, I liked the devastation that it showed and that happened to sure. her and, the, and her yes. family and to her friend's family. And I liked the anger. And I liked this idea of what she was trying to accomplish, which was, I'm going to lure these men, but I'm going to give them the opportunity to be something that that, that may change, flip things around, right? And be able to save themselves. Okay, okay but this is, this is interesting in how it then connects back to House of Darkness. Because, so, Kate Bosworth's character... Mina, right? I mean, and like the name, pretty much know where we're going at that point. But she gives him all the times, all the space to sort of be honest, come clean. Sure. This is also a Neil Butte film. And so there are some weird dialogue things that go on, some forced dialogue. I mean, ultimately this, look, so just to kind of lay the entire story out, they come back to the, they come back to the house. If you haven't seen it, they come back to the house and then more and more things get revealed. Justin Long's character comes off. And again, I'm maybe exposing myself here. He comes off as a jerk and he's obviously duplicitous in some sense. We're not a hundred percent sure, but what is revealed to us is that Kate Bosworth has two sisters. They were brutally raped and abused in the past and now that they're kind of part of this undead supernatural thing yeah. and they're taking revenge on these types of men and they've done so throughout history. Right. That's all fine and good. Again, although it's not a new story, right? It's not a new story and I would also say that by the time that we get to someone like Justin Long, if we're exacting death revenge on this guy, <laughs> then maybe maybe our story maybe our story isn't what we're trying to yeah. isn't maybe our message isn't what we're trying to convey here. Right. Because all of all the trespasses that Justin Long displays in this movie, none of them are worthy of they're worthy of a kick in the balls maybe. Sure. They're not worthy of getting your neck ripped out. Sure. And so to that end, I don't know what we're truly trying to say here. And I think, and I think that that's exactly what Labute is trying to say through kind of a female cipher, which is maybe as men, we don't understand or feel the full weight of microaggressions or micro toxicity and masculinity. Now, because of course I think like on the surface, and I also think on the surface, you're like, okay, this, does this warrant like death? Does, does a does a kind of white liar trying to get this woman into bed in, in a way that is not forceful? Right. Does does this warrant? Because he never, I mean, he never 
forces himself on her. I mean, he makes illusions and he says things, right? But he never, and he's creepy, sure. Right, he's but crass. He, but, he, and, but he never physically sort of forces or, 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 or assaults in any way. So you're kind of like, is this really worthy of death? And so I think Lebute is sort of taking it over the top well, on, on purpose. And right? horror tropes do that, right? You're right, always, there's right. always people who find themselves in situations that, that they could have, if they'd just been straight, if they'd just been truthful, if they had just done the right thing, that small, tiny right, right thing, they wouldn't right, have found themselves right. at the bottom of Crystal Lake, sure. <laughs> Right, right. So, but Labute does not have the subtlety for horror, and right. this is where again well, he it just is, doesn't have subtlety, right? <laughs> no, he, I mean, no, you're absolutely yeah. right. He and this is my 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 struggle with him because in 1997, 1999, I was a huge Labute fan. Right. I mean, like coming off of In the Company right. of Men and Your Friends, friends and, neighbors, and Neighbors, I'm thinking this is a guy who's who's tapped into this Gen X malaise and like sexual dynamic and just. Yeah. This anger of coming across, this anger of coming out of the baby boomer generation where you're not going to be doing better. I mean, this whole generational sure. anger of not having any sort of great war. We're just in this kind of you know, no up, no great ups and no great downs. We're just a kind of a, we just skirt through life. And then there's these people that exist in his his world that push against that and use that and do so with such great ugliness and force. That it was really, I, I think I think those two movies and, and, and going, I didn't love Possession, but then The Shape of Things, which kind of is starting to taper down yeah. um we're a great trilogy of of just kind of gross fuck you films i mean and, and to the it's weird because like they clearly those movies want you to take joy in watching them until they pull the rug out from underneath right. you right? right although i thought like in the company of men was was him saying like yeah men suck i mean just oh, absolutely like, like on all from, on all levels on all right? levels right? right from the get-go right but, and, and like, I'm going to show you how bad like some people can be, but then also how it's going to really destroy this other person as well. Like this other man as well. I, I, uh, I felt Labute was going to be the kind of a scorched earth mamet. It obviously came from the same playground, play, playground, playwright background. <laughs> well, that makes, yeah, that works. <laughs> uh, and, and, and then once he hit Wicker Man... And no. completely misunderstood that film. And and again, I think to his defense of remaking Wicker Man, Wicker Man has an elevated status in, in folk horror, maybe overly so. If you can't rein in Nicolas Cage and, and pull in a performance that's constrained and, and it's just going to see it's going to seem ridiculous. It's going to be ridiculous, yeah. Cage. And, and that's the problem is. Yeah. And then from there, he never recovered. It, and, and, and I don't think he has anything to say here. I think. What, and what again, what he has to say is the same sort of don't worry, darling, um, take on it. Yeah. And what's crazy is, is that both Kate Bosworth and Justin Long were in another movie that came out on the exact same day of House of Darkness. It hit theaters. It was called Barbarian, where Justin Long plays a heightened version of this exact same character where you do feel like and the and the back and forth and the 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 tonal shifts of his character play so well that it when you compare it to this one, I don't think Justin Long is a leading man at all. I don't think he can carry a film. No. I, I like him in his comedies. I think he's a great comedic actor. Um, and I think he he's great in the in the where he shows up in those types of movies. Idiocracy, those types of films. Apple. <laughs> right. Although not people, anymore. But people should know Hodgman more than they know. That's true. That's uh, true. More than yeah. they know Justin Long out right, of. And right. I and I don't he <laughs> 
this is kind of the same problem I had with uh, Drag Me to Hell is that I think Dustin Justin Long kind of diminishes that movie as well. I just don't I don't buy him. He's this everyday guy, but I never he always comes off as creepy. He always comes off as like he's a, always kind of a that guy. Toast. He's right. always that guy. Yeah. He's always the guy from Barbarian. He's always the guy from House of Darkness. I mean that's that's who he that's who he is. Right. right? Um, I can't remember. Did he play this a similar character in Drag Me to Hell? I'm trying to remember. He, he was, was like the boyfriend, he was the right? Boyfriend, was the right? Boyfriend. So he wasn't. He wasn't. He creepy. wasn't. He was as, supportive. Yeah, he uh, was. But, but he, I just don't like buy him in those roles anyway. Right? Right. I mean, I don't really buy him as being supportive. Yeah, yeah. And and again, I don't. I don't know. Like, I, there's the the time for me to be excited about a Neil Butte movie. Like when you said when you picked this one out, and it's like, hey, it's new, new, new yeah. Neil Butte. I had no idea he was doing one, and like and that, like I said. 20 some odd years ago would have seemed unfathomable to me because yeah. I was just like, oh, this guy is going to be the next the next voice yeah. of our cinema. And, and to a to an extent that he's going to be writing dialogue that we're going to be quoting. And, and you know, it just it just did not happen. OK, next next film um, is. Oh, awesome. Anguish. <laughs> I, okay. So I fucking love this film. I, this was really, so this was the one I was saying I was on the oh, fence for. Man. I didn't know. So there's two that I picked out. I won't spoil okay. the other one, but okay. obviously I'm sure you know what it is. Uh, this one, I, this one, cause I know you don't tend to, uh, veer towards kind of schlocky true movies. True. Like, like this, this is, this one kind of is, this is true. I, I'm not a huge like B movie fan. I'm not a big kind of grindhouse schlocky. Although, you know, I can, I can appreciate sort of what they're sure. doing or why right. they're entertaining, but no, you're right. I, I don't really go towards that, but here's what I do. Here's what I do dig playing with structure. I love playing with structure. I love films that do something different. I also love films like this that don't take themselves too seriously, right? And have, I mean, Michael Lerner's in this? Yeah. Like, what the fuck, right? I mean, I was like, oh my God. So, so do you yeah, know who was supposed to be Zelda, Zelda Rubenstein? No. Betty Davis. <laughs> she couldn't do it because of the conflict, but but Betty Davis was supposed to be the Zelda Rubenstein character. But she was pretty, Zelda oh, Rubenstein no, was, Zelda was perfect, fantastic, perfect right? in this. Um, and when she does it, I don't think you could, once Zelda puts her mark on a, on a, you can't see anyone else right. doing it. So right. you want to, you want to describe the plot so, of anguish as, okay. as best you can? Um, as best I can. So Michael Lerner is the son of Zelda Rubenstein and the film opens, they're in their house and, and this is supposed to be, is it supposed to be in New York? Is it supposed to be a city? I, I can it's never, hard I, to say. I yeah. couldn't quite tell, but so they're in, in their house, right? Michael Lerner is uh, Zelda Rubenstein's adult son and they have a bowl full of snails, right? A fish bowl full of snails. And Michael Lerner, he, he is tending to his pigeons that he keeps inside. And one escapes. And, and, and anyway, he has to catch it. That's the opening sort of scene. It turns out uh, Michael Lerner is an orderly at an optometrist, like a, like a, a sort, yeah, some of, sort of ophthalmologist. A, yeah, like a big time eye doctor. Right. And he's the orderly and he's there to sort of, you know, help. And he's putting contacts into a, a woman patient's eyes. She's well to do, upper class, snooty. And the contacts hurt her eyes and, and, and she yells at him. And he's sad and sorry. And this is like the inciting incident of the film because the mother finds out and the mother decides that this woman needs to be punished. And so she hypnotizes Michael Lerner, and he goes and visits that patient's house and and gives her new contacts, and she's very thankful, <laughs> and everything is fine until he cuts her eyeballs out, and then he cuts the eyeballs out of her husband, boyfriend, whoever else right. is there, and so then then he goes back home, right, and Zelda Rubenstein. I don't tells him that they're all going to sort of 
pay, right? They're all going well, to pay. Right. So at, oh, but, he bet, gets, because at, between this time, but while he's at her house, she gets a call from the doctor basically saying he's no longer welcome right, there. He's, right. he's no longer working there. And we, and we're giving some sort of inclination that Zelda Rubenstein has been, has been financing or has some, some sort kind of, of patronage. Been, yeah. Benefactor yeah. to this optometry yeah. or op- ophthalmology school. I doctor. <laughs> right, you know I how doctor, you do. You know I doctor give money to like, yeah. Just like, I'm going to finance your eye doctor business. <laughs> right. So yeah, the doctor or the office calls is like, yeah, he can't come back. He's like creeping people out and stuff. And then she sort of, what would you say? Sort of enacts this like revenge plot. Right. Where further hypnosis. Where learner then, has to take all the eyes. All the eyes. And I forget, he goes somewhere. Is, is it then that we. So yes, then he goes to the movie theater. Yeah, and then we sort of. Yes, and then zoom and, out. And then, the, and then, as an audience, we zoom out one level, and, and we, we find see. out that we've been watching people watching a movie called The Mommy. The Mommy at, at this movie theater, and these two these two girls, two teenage girls, yeah. two friends. One starts freaking out. One gets really sort of panicked, having this like anxiety attack, and and is 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 almost like sharing in this experience with Michael Lerner's right character. and on this and on the screen there's a bunch of what there's a bunch of hypnotic images like a spinning wheel and it gets blurry and it's right so it, it, and you've got Zelda Rubenstein's voice kind of over like you know t- telling Michael Lerner to, to you know keep going or you know don't stop right. take them all yeah, take them and all. so pulls out we're watching people watch this film one girl has a panic attack and she keeps watching one particular character in the audience. And then yeah, that, you can spoil that, it at that, this point, yeah. that member of the audience then starts to perpetrate his own series of killings within the theater, talking to the mommy, right? Talking to Zelda Rubenstein's character, Alice, right? I right. think is her name. Yeah. And so this kind of goes on this killing spree in a theater, which I thought like- It's a cool concept. This has happened it's, before. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> like in real life, right? But yes, it's also this like super meta like concept. The cops finally get there. Our, our two teenage characters kind of- end up being heroes in a sense. Yes. The one is taken hostage. The one gets out and like and tracks is, someone is, down it, to get right. a phone call. The cops come, the SWAT, SWAT team comes while at the same time, the same thing is happening. <laughs> Right. So screens. Michael Lerner's in, uh, Michael Lerner's watching a movie called he's watching The Lost World, the not not the Jurassic Park, but the original but the original black and and he's, white, yeah. he's in the theater while while we're doing all of this and while people are getting more and more uncomfortable in the movie theater that we're watching that they're watching the actual movie. I know it gets confusing here. Michael Lerner is cutting out eyeballs and slitting throats all throughout the theater. Yeah, it's at the same theater. I was gonna say he doesn't go to another theater. Okay, no, right, the same right, movie's right, still right. going on. Right. And then he and so yes, while the cops come to the theater that we're watching the cops also come to the theater that the, the people where they're, <laughs> they're watching the are watching. watching. <laughs> right, right. But it turns right. out that that one of the patron patrons that's been watching the mommy has come back over and over and over again to see the mommy and has become so enamored and so hypnotized by that movie that he believes that he's Michael Lerner's character and starts taking on. And then as the denouement happens and we and this all the, the the one of the girls who was watching the movie has been so taken by it that she also thinks that Michael Lerner's character is real and that when he, he that he can reach through the screen and s- stabs her. In right. The so eye. after because the, so the cops come, the cops on the on the mommy movie kill Michael Lerner and Alice. No, no, no so kill Alice. They kill Alice right? accidentally. Right. And then the cops in the other theater kill the killer who's holding the one girl hostage. And then, yeah, she's so sort of wrapped up in this whole idea that 
she watches as Michael Lerner's character reaches down from the screen and stabs her in the eye. <laughs> oh, okay, the cops rescue everybody. They take the one girl to the hospital, right? They kind of, she needs rest, she's like, right. right? And so like the doctors and the nurses make her friends and her parents leave and she's trying to rest. And then who comes in <laughs> dressed as an orderly, but Michael like Lerner. Lerner yes. And then he says, oh, don't worry. I'm not I'm, even real. I'm just in your imagination. <laughs> <laughs> and then and she tries to scream. She can't scream. Finally, a scream comes out as the camera does this like extreme close up, like into her, into her mouth and it goes black. And what do we see? A, another fucking movie screen, <laughs> yes, right? Yes. And we're watching like, <laughs> we're watching another audience watch this film that was a film within a film. So we're watching a film within a film within a film. I just, I love structure. Play. I, I, it's, it's so inventive. And so, I mean, look, there are places where like you can see things held together with duct tape and stuff, but, but, right, but right. it's, it's so inventive. And so I, I find it interesting that this movie is not more well known. I, well, so did I, that was, I was like, how did, how did I not know about this? Like beforehand. And, and, and I don't know, like the director, uh, oh, what's his, his name, name is Big biggest, yeah. Biggest Luna okay. who directed Hamon Hamon, which introduced the world to Javier Bardem. Right. And, or, I was, no, it was Banderas. It was Banderas and Penelope Cruz, not Javier. Or was it Javier? Bardem? No, it was Javier Bardem. Okay. Yeah. I wrote it down. You were, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this is the only movie that he actually wrote and directed. Um, um, but yeah, it's weird that it's just that, I mean, this construct's just odd. And maybe it's because it came from a Spanish director and it came out in a, in a, in a time where these types of direct-to-video movies, and I'm sure this wasn't direct-to-video, but it came out from a Spanish director. It probably didn't get a huge release. Probably sat on, you know, uh, you know, video shelves and people yeah. picked it up. But like, it's, it's odd to me that post Poltergeist, when Zelda Rubenstein is at her height, that this was not a film that, that people really championed. And cause right. it, it, it is of all the schlocky things it is so inventive it is so you don't you you've never seen anything like this and again yes the the mommy the movie that they're all watching is silly and over the top and it's exactly the movie you think you're going to get when you pick up the box right like you're, if, right. They, if it had just gone on you'd be like okay well that was that thing and yeah, some like, guys just cutting okay, that was... but there's some inventive like uh, um, gore scenes I mean there, there's a, a scalpel going into an eyeball that's really effective and well done it's like a like a surgery I mean yeah. it's a, like yeah. an actual surgical procedure and it's 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 creepy and it's 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 not a bloody scene, but it is a creepy scene just to watch the scaffold go like right under the surface there of, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Michael Lerner, what the next year would be in Eight Men Out. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and when was Barton, because he was in Barton Fink too, right? Yeah, I'm not sure when. This was 87, I think, right. this movie came out. So and Barton then, Fink would have been, I want to say Barton Fink was a little bit later. Later. Than that, like yeah. 92, something along but those I mean, lines. But this guy was someone who, like, you you recognize immediately. Even right. if you don't know his name, you're like, oh, I know him from. He's he's definitely a that guy, right? You're just like, oh, he's that guy from this film. Maybe not a huge part, but he's in this. And you and you remember him, right? Yeah, absolutely. So it, it is surprising that it's not more well-known than it wasn't probably bigger at the time. Because you're just like, what the fuck? This is great. This is great. Yeah, and it's it is really a good example. And like you said, like it's just so inventive, and it's just a good example of these types of movies that I, I can I can see where you would just dismiss it after the first fifteen minutes, but you can't have said you've seen anything like it after you get through that though. No, and even like the first fifteen minutes is so wild and so right. just like bizarre. You're like, okay, I'll see where this goes. Like, <laughs> right. like, like these people are weird. Okay, let's let's watch. I mean, this is the cool thing. I mean, I'm not a huge horror fan, right? I mean, but 
But what I like is that, and I, I actually like hate the term genre too, but that's, that's a different discussion. But what I like about horror films and what I like about genre films is they, they take the permission to play, right? They take the permission to try something new. So even like Neil LeBute's trying something new. It's, I mean, it's almost like a stage play in this kind he's of thing. He's trying like, something. Well, I said, I, well, okay, for him is what I mean. Like he's trying <laughs> something. Right? But, but this idea of, of being able to sort of play, to play with structure, to try something different. And it, it's almost like you get a free pass. Right. Right. Because if this were a more like serious movie. Yeah. They'd never let you do this. Right. They'd never right, let you do right. this. I mean, this is not, I mean, I'm trying to think like one of the, one of the few movies that I, Memento is, is mm-hmm. I think a, a serious movie that, that tried something different with structure. Right. This, I mean, this is more complex than that too. Yeah. And, and yeah, I agree. It, it, it's so meta. It, again, it was yeah. so meta when meta wasn't even a term that, that it's. <laughs> right. Right. Nobody was using, because I mean, th- think about how you know how many years later 10 years later scream mm-hmm. came out which again was something very postmodern at that time yeah i, mean, I think that's what was kind of being oh it's such a postmodern meta kind of meta commentary on horror films craven started doing it with new nightmare so when, okay. when new yeah. nightmare came, and again it wasn't to the extent that that because then when he met up with kevin williamson and, and that was really what well, got smarter i mean right right dawson's and, creek will do that and there was <laughs> and there was no other way for, there was no other place for this to, for horror to go at the time yeah you you were stuck you were because all of the big bads were were gone they they weren't making money at the box office anymore right. and they were being i mean look they were still relevant to the extent of like okay you can i guess say that all of them jason was completely gone freddie was completely gone michael was completely gone because kevin williamson resurrects michael as well right child's play at that point starts to go off into its own meta commentary and also its own like john waters uh really bizarre-esque kind of route which is great i mean but there were no like huge stars that brought people in so you got you really at that point you were you were you were J horror. You were J horror remakes, and then that right. was really about it. Right. And then so yeah, I mean it, it's it's I don't I, I mean I know Craven is seen as like the godfather of horror to a, and to a certain extent anyway, but yeah, I don't think he gets credit for reinventing and inventing it over and over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, go highly recommend going to go and see Anguish. There, it's a trip. There's, there's a planned remake for this year. Oh, that's right. I saw that. There was a, a botched one in 2009, but right. and so we'll see if it gets off the ground. I'm interested to see what they do with it, but I but the re, the original is so much, so much fun it's and so deserves fun. more attention than it gets. Yeah, it is so fun. Okay. All right. So okay. it's my turn. Yeah. All right. So movie number three is, oh, my favorite. God told me to. Oh my God. <laughs> okay. All right. The Larry Cohen <laughs> 1976 so horror fun. film, God told me to. Go for it. Take it away. I, <laughs> so, I just want to say, I want to say two things first. Sandy Dennis. Mm-hmm. Andy Kaufman. And the very first screen presence of Andy Kaufman. <laughs> okay. on, on what had to have been a faux parade without any sort of permits whatsoever. But the whole the whole movie, right? I mean, oh, like, everything was Cohen just... was never... Like, Cohen... It, so, just to step forward before I step back. No, and this was going to be one of yes. my points, is that... Right. I don't know how familiar you are with Larry Cohen's filmography. I, I, if you haven't seen... I, and again, I know this may not be your type of film, but I, I would go... I would watch... Uh, Cue the Winged Serpent with uh, Michael Moriarty. Uh, it's Alive. There's a few other ones that he did later in his career too. I'm a huge fan 
of of his movies and just the idea of how he was making movies in the 70s but but to that ex, to his filmmaking style no one filmed new york as dirty or grittier yeah. or 1970s yeah. or yeah. than than larry cohen did maybe scorsese and schrader but outside of that larry cohen had the pulse of new york yeah because so, there's something even sort of grittier in in these films and in, in this film than for sure than for like sure. mean streets or, or taxi driver i mean so so this movie starts off and and the whole premise is is that uh, there's a slew of randomized killings in new york and the movie starts off with a man on a water tower just shooting people in the streets and Ted Lobianco, who is a New York City detective, is tasked with finding out what's going on. And he, so he, he he is the person who's ta- he, he arrives at the scene. He we, we know that he's a stand up, do good cop because he gets up there. And before the SWAT team can take him out, uh, he takes off his tie, he takes off his gun, he takes off his coat and he climbs up to the to the water tower to try to reason with this 21 year old, the oldest 21 year old looking person in, in the history Everybody of cinema. Everybody looks so fucking old in this film. I mean, and then. <laughs> And Ted LeBianca says, I'm 34. And I'm like, right. fucking hell. <laughs> you look like you're 63, like, sir. Like, I'm glad I quit drinking. <laughs> right. And he's a cop that has a beautiful overview of uh, Central Park. Like, yeah. it's just an amazing view yeah. of Central Park. It's as like, he's sitting what there. salaries? But <laughs> it's rent control. The, <laughs> he, gets, he gets up to the top of the water tower and is talking to this young gentleman about why he... And he seemingly... Uh, cohesive and and he asked him why he he performed all these murders he shot all these people and he just says god told me to and that kicks off a slew of other killings randomized killings in new york and just and as at the end of it um that right before they're either captured or they die they all all of the perpetrators say god told me to they also never run away. They never they, run away. They stay with their yeah. yeah. So they're this is as you would as one would when you were told by God to do something, you would assume that you're in there. You would assume that you're in the right, well, and well, you would stay there. One of the and sorry not to like catch up, but no, one no. of the one of the creepiest scenes was the father that killed his family, calmly explaining, well, you know, he's done so much for me and done so much for us that I who am I to refuse him this one thing? And and, and they're 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 happy, right? They're better off. So of course they're with him. And and the the other. Thing Thing that he says in that scene is where Ted LeBianca is like, "Are you a religious man?" He's like, "Not no, until recently." Not until recently. <laughs> Which basically like, means not until right before I killed my right family. Before God told me to do it. But yeah, that was one of the more disturbing. It's so. Anyway, we we go through the whole process where Toad Lobianco is starting to like lose his sanity and 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 basically the the his superiors start to think that he's causing this chaos and that he that his obsession with it and that his leaking it to the press is, is starting to cause these kind of copycat <clears throat> murders and which he actually does which is a really kind of a brilliant move of the movie where we see a low-level gangster start to take the God told me to premise and start to use it to his own benefit. The movie takes a hard tonal shift about halfway through when we start to kind of, when we meet the character that people associate to God and who's telling them to do these things. And it's... But before that, we meet that character's, or we hear the story of that character's mother. That's true. Right? That is true. And and that mother who, and we hear it kind of secondhand from a guy that, that somehow picked her up on the side of the road. She was like out on Long Island, right? And like running in the rain naked or running the cold naked and this guy picks her up and it, as he tells the, the cop right he's he's not beyond sort of stepping out right of his marriage but 
puts a coat on her and she starts he, to explain. Yeah, he, was, he was honorable this time. He was honorable this time. She explains about how she had a virgin birth and, and, right. and that the baby was given up to a good Catholic family. And then, so Ted LeBianco is when he's talking to these people, he starts talking and there's, he starts to realize a pattern of uh, everyone who's committing these murders or people who are around him recognize this character, but they can't make out his face or they can't remember his face. Eventually he confronts, he finds this person and confronts them. And it turns out, and again, this is up for interpretation. So I'm interested in, in your interpretation okay, as okay. well. <laughs> okay. That it's possible that God and Jesus aren't the only entities that were born of virgin births and that they're not the only, that they're basically in a superior being uh, and they're not from this earth. And it turns out that Ted Lobianco, lo and behold, is also of a virgin birth, which is why he was so inexplicably drawn to this. And there's like a, um, a, a side rib vagina thing that's yeah, going on yeah. and, and it, it gets very, very bizarre. <laughs> And it's kind of devolves into madness as as the movie goes on. And Ted Lobianco, and we follow Ted Lobianco's character into that madness essentially. So yeah. he starts to figure out that this character is some sort of alien presence, whether or not it's actually truly the God that created this earth or not is to be, I guess could be discussed, but clearly the point that's here in New York city is one of many. And obviously Ted Lobianco is, is potentially one of those as well. Right. Be because we kind of get the hint or were the illusion that they were that these women who gave Birth to uh, the mind controlling entity, right? That 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 led people to kill everybody else, and Ted Lebianca's character that their mothers were abducted by aliens and somehow impregnated. <laughs> or, Which, to be or fair, whatever. makes as much I mean, sense as sure. most of these music so. stories. <laughs> Right, as anything else. He is a religious man. Mm -hmm. He He's a devout Catholic, right? Right. So devout that he won't get a divorce from Sandy Dennis, Oscar winner, Sandy Dennis, <laughs> <laughs> right? He won't get a divorce from her to marry his his younger, beautiful model. I mean, she's, she's a model in real life, yes, thing, right? Yes, yes. Um, girlfriend. So, but he, he continues to visit. But he lies to her, saying he, that he will get him divorced. Right, right. Even though he won't. And then he goes to and then he goes to confession, confession to confess the lie that he's told his girlfriend about not divorcing his wife. <laughs> I mean, what one of my one of my things with this film was like, what are we saying about about religion? What are we saying about sort of like what is a holy and, and what isn't? And and are we looking for this will sound offensive? Are we looking for stories to help explain stories? Are we looking for well? This is how I can explain God, aliens. And it's a, I don't know that that says anything about, about why we do the things we, or why we believe what we believe. I think this movie is a very interesting take on religious mass hysteria and this idea that it can justify whatever we want it to justify. I'm not 100% sure that's what Larry Cohen set out to do. I think Larry Cohen sets out to make movies and he'll throw together scripts on the fly and a lot of this was most likely ad-libbed. Uh, obviously, the people <clears throat> flopping in the streets were not told how to get shot. It was great, though. That was, it, was, it was just brilliant. <laughs> um, I love that part. Like, the guy riding the bicycle next to the taxi all of a sudden gets shot. Just like, oh my god. Like, but, but again, like, I love it. Because you know that it's just happening. The taxi drivers are like, what the, what, what just right. happened there? <laughs> this guerrilla style filmmaking that he puts together. Yeah. And and it, it, this is a guy who, if you give him a dollar, 
he's going to stretch it to five and he's probably going to make three. He's probably going to shoot three different movies at the same time that he's making this one yeah. and use footage in other ones. Yeah. And I, I love you don't see that anymore, really. And I love that he was kind of a pioneer. And like if you go and look at his filmography, his influences and his script writing are all over the place. I mean, like as far as whom he's influenced sure, moving sure. forward. And it's just, I, I, I don't think that's another guy that again, talking about anguish and how it's not as, as, as well known. I think Larry Cohen, I think people recognize certain numbers of his films, but like we really should be doing more to I, kind of talk about who this guy was. I, I wish this wouldn't have delved into the supernatural extraterrestrial stuff. I, I would have been much more interested, I think, and in, in invested if it had stuck with the religious aspect. And this, re- and, and, I mean, coming from mind control. I mean, because a, as as the film goes on, right, Taylor Bianca's character starts to be able to control minds, right, as right. well, like like our sort of no-name blonde hair character who looks kind of like Jesus or, or I'm sorry, it looks kind of like the Jesus depicted on like right. most accepted sort of, <laughs> you know, the pale white skin, blue eyed guy from, you know, from the middle East. Sure. I would have been much more, I think compelled and sort of like really into it. If, if he would have stuck, there. I just thought that kind of swerve into, it does feel like it's kind of two or three scripts cobbled together. And, and I, I get the tr- like trying to explain, finding reasons to explain this or explain that because right. it can't just be a religious thing. It has to be. <clears throat> In his defense, I don't think he was setting out to, I think he was setting out to make a movie to get butts <clears throat> in the seats. And so sure. like the whole sure. idea of God told me to, and like, we're going to, it's going to be this horror film yeah. that is going to come up with some sort of solution. Uh, yeah, I think if this is remade, you'd let the Lobianco character start to believe in his own messiah complex, start to believe that he's actually is causing these this right. mass hysteria and then really kind of explore that aspect of it. Um, that's a that's obviously the more interesting and more polished story. Right. This was this is Cohen's this is not Cohen's first movie. This is first first movie gets released because his second movie actually gets shelved. It's alive gets shelved okay. for a oh. minute and gets pushed back. Um, I forget there was a re- I, I I read why I there was gonna, it was but but okay. but um, it's alive gets pushed. And it gets released first. <clears throat> I'm sorry. It's a lot gets released after this one. I think I think a, um, a filmmaker that has a bigger budget and has more time on his hands um, will would would probably have told that story. Yeah. It, but I think you, you'll find with a lot of Cohen films is that he had a very he had two weeks and a million dollars and he had to blow through it sure. and get a film to the get get it in can right. Yeah, I mean, so it, it's. Well, I think there's I think there's a reading of this where I think I could do another textual reading of this film and find the subversiveness in that swerve, right? So it's not that I want to dismiss it. I, I think <laughs> I think if I looked at it through a different lens, I could probably find a more interesting take on that alien swerve. I just don't want to. And it's probably best just to let it be what it <laughs> right, is. Right. right. It does not once need. To, I do not need to sort of like intellectualize or philosophize that on too deep on too deep of a level with. <laughs> Right. Once you get to the close up of the underarm vagina, then at that, that point you're like, so, and I'm just kind of like, how's that? And the, and and then when the Jesus character is inviting Ted Lobianco to like then propagate, and not, I mean to, to no, they want to yes, they want to and procreate, to create, better, and create their own like race, and it's. It, it was cool. It was it was really cool. Um, this was a video box rental for me when I was a kid. So like when I was in high school, God told me to was one of those. It, it was a great like this scary face looking over over yeah, the empire. Not, maybe it might have been it might have been the Twin Towers. Um, but looking down on New York and just God told me to. It was, yeah, it just yeah. it just that was it's such a great. I mean, it's, I think it's been released as other things, but God told me to is such a great title for a movie, especially but, in the seventies. No, it's it is a great title, and th- these are the kind of movies 
that I remember as a kid, like walking through. So there was a there was a video store real close to me called Take One Video, and they had like a lot of these like schlocky kind of like movies like this, right? Or all the Ghoulies movies mm -hmm. and you know stuff like that. But I remember these kind of covers. So I mean, th th there's a sense of nostalgia in these films too that I really that I really kind of dig, even though they're not what I was gonna rent. But sure. But it's just that memory of like walking through there. So. The last point on God told yeah. me to in, I think it was the early 2000s, maybe late 1990s, a young, I want to say, I don't know if he's German or not, Austrian, German, Austrian filmmaker is, was obsessed with this movie and came up to Larry Cohen and asked him to remake it. Nothing came of it, but you want to take a guess at who that might've been? Michael Haneke? Mm, Gaspar No. Oh, I don't know. I'm getting his nationality wrong, but Gaspar No wanted to <laughs> remake God Told Me To. I'm, I still want him to. Yeah, I, I, well, I want to see his take on, cool. on <laughs> God Told that Me To. I feel like there would be some like, you know, underarm, like <laughs> right. actual like. Yeah, this is a Cronenberg, right. Just, right? There's a lot more than just underarm views. <laughs> Well, I'm glad I watched that. Okay, next one. Yeah. Oh, okay. Your vice is a locked door, and <laughs> only I have and the only key. I have the key. <laughs> These Giallo films are just so sweaty and horny, right? <laughs> this is just, the sexiest movie I, I made us watch. They're sweaty, horny. Nobody's good. Everybody gets punished. God told me to is a great horror film title. Your vice, vice is a locked room, and only I have the key is a fucking stellar movie title. It's so good. I was like, wait. What? Like, <laughs> I kept trying to go, your voice. I'm like, no, it says vice. I know it says vice. <laughs> and it has nothing really to do with the movie. No, okay. I was going to ask about that title. Like, is it is it a, because this film is based off of the Edgar Allan Poe story, The Black Cat. I think that's the title. It, loosely, right? yes. Well, I mean, loosely. So, um, I mean, and there are a lot of like this, a similar beats, not just that there's a black cat in each in each of the things, but the the movie that Martino made before this one, Sergio Martino, the director of this movie, it that was a quote in the movie, and they ended up using it as the title. Right, of this right. Movie. I read so it. It's okay. loosely tied, it, but the, again, it's not a sequel. And people thought it was a sequel because it said that, but it's not. Okay. I think he just liked those words put together, and why wouldn't you? Yeah. And used it as the title of a movie. But this is just wild. I mean, I, I mean, I know that sexploitation is a thing in like movies, but man, this is just wild. I mean, from like the very beginning, this like opening like scene of of like hippies drinking with this like deadbeat but, author. Right? But over the credits still, you've got a, a, a very like blurred out sex scene that happens over the entirety of the credits that has nothing to do with the rest of the film. Oh, nothing oh. whatsoever. I mean, it could be two characters. You can't see who the characters are. They're just people rolling around in sheets having sex over the credits. <laughs> and then, yeah, you dive right in. That's what I love about these Giallo films is that they don't take time to there's no exposition. They don't take time to set it. You're thrown into it. This is either a sink or swim experience. And if you and if you don't don't like that type of movie, you're going to hate all giallos. You're going to hate them all because none of them really make a whole hell of a lot of sense. No, there's not a no. through. I mean, this one probably makes the most amount of sense out of a lot of them, to be quite fair. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But but well, because, I mean, like the plots within or not, not the plots, but the sort of I mean, plots by like bad characters, you can see those sort of machinations kind of like working. Right. So so. Like in this film, anyway, that did make sense, and it did kind of like you just wanted to see like what's going to happen here. Like, why is he watching them have sex? That's weird, and she knows it. And yeah, so did you want to? So you 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 pick the card. You're going to have to give us the plot. Oh fuck. Okay. Um. So the story centers around Claudio. 
Claudio, the author, right? So, yes. wait, okay, so this kind of washed up, mm, never really has been, but wants to be writer and his wife, and they live in this Italian villa in this small town, and it's her money, right? Don't they live off her it's money? It's his money. It's his mother's money. Okay. Oh, right, okay, so it's his mother's money, because she's in the painting of the, in the, right. in the villa. So, in the film opens with this big kind of like party scene with these like hippies that live kind of yeah, it's kind of like a very like a Michael like Chabon like a, kind of like where people are like you're the, this old recluse writer who did one thing one time a long time ago right, right, right. his books are no longer published but all these people still love him he's got yeah. money and so he's holding these in booze he's got tons of booze yeah and he, right. so he's holding these kind of these parties at his manor that are just full of food and, and liquor and wild sex, sex. And, and, and just free love and music and what have you except he's a complete dick Right. And so, he's become so jaded by it all and so like hateful of it that he can't even enjoy it. Right. So it's this. Uh, so, I mean, and, and he immediately sort of abuses his wife in front of all these people, like forces her to drink like what a big old like goblet of like wine. Or yeah. Whatever, so and he, then, everyone basically everyone's discarded wine. He puts into a big, uh, a big makes bowl and makes her drink it. Yeah. And then and then he. And then he sort of molests the maid in front of her. Right. Very um, racist uh, segment of the movie. Extremely racist because <laughs> I like, get what point he says, like, but it's just like. They, yeah. Colored and Negro end up being thrown around in the in the in the dialogue. Of course, this is a 1970s movie. Not to excuse it. Don't excuse I mean, them. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was a different time. <laughs> it's just how gallows are raised. How, yes. So, so like his wife storms out if she leaves. Right. Um, all this other stuff is going on, and I forget, everyone leaves, and he ends up, what, like, sort of naked with the maid, or the na- the maid is naked next so to him on the, like, settee, the, right? the way So the way that the wife shows that she has agency... Is she is, puts on... She comes back and wears his mother's dress, and yeah. so he's very, he's, I guess he's, uh, I, what's the word I'm looking for? He, his mother is a, is a huge influence, and she's passed away, both her and her father, or her, his father passed away, but he still has this huge painting of her and her favorite cat. Her cat still lives with them, that'll right. come a plot point later, um, and he has a huge oil painting of her and so and he has this dress that he doesn't like anyone else to wear but then he also has sex with people who do wear it insinuating that he had some sort of an amorous relationship with, with his mother if not just a weird fetish right right so so the wife comes out in the dress and he more or less rapes her at that point right right i mean it's, yes. it's not a consensual sort of thing and, right i think and, she and, knows that it's coming but right. and so she's i mean yes she but she also does it to piss him off and again like to show a kind of agency to show a kind of power like i know that this will annoy you but i also know that i'll get a kind of yeah retribution yeah, for it as well, yeah. yeah. And then they kind of do husband and wife things. They go to town, right? He picks up some books from the bookstore. Oh, it turns out he's sleeping with the bookstore lady as well, right? And they yeah, the make, clerk at the bookstore. So he's a philanderer, and, and, and like it's, it's, <laughs> if, it's a well-known... If you haven't noticed it yet. <laughs> right, he's a well-known philanderer. Yeah. His wife knows that he does it. He even brags about it that his wife knows that he does it to the policemen that individually show up. Because his bookstore lady fling ends up dead. Right. In some weird Yeah, she garage. gets... She gets it, they're, they were supposed to meet up for the night. He ended up getting drunk and passing out. Right. Uh, she ends up going to the place where they were supposed to meet, and she ends up getting killed with like this sickle, mm-hmm. uh, very you know, very giallo type 
blood and ketchup kind of murder. <laughs> Super bright red. Right. <laughs> and so she dies. The police come to the house the next day to in, to basically question the author. And he tells them that exact same story, that he never met up with her and that he had gotten drunk. But, yes, he was sleeping with her, and he's very sad that it all happened. Yeah. Yeah. Moving forward, he starts to have sex with the maid. And right. the maid also ends up dead. But she puts on the dress. But she put, well. yeah, he makes her put on the dress, and then he has sex with her then. And, and there's this weird like scene where she's hearing the maid is hearing things and she like runs up the stairs away from the sound and then yeah she gets she ends up getting killed killed by the and sickle again and so the claudio knows that he had nothing to do with it but he thinks that the police will also believe that he killed because he two now two of his acquaintances have <laughs> been killed so he convinces his wife octavia to board up That's the name. board up the the maid in the wall in their manor. In the in the wine cellar. In the wine cellar, right. yes. So there's right. a hole in the wine cellar. They basically brick it up and they hide her there. Yeah. And then from there, the movie continues. Well, and his niece comes to town, right? It's, it's his niece. It's his niece. It's his yes. niece. And so they get a letter from the niece that she's going to be on the train. They go to the train to meet the train. They're like, oh, just like niece, right? She's not on the right, train. She's not on the train like she said she, she was She comes to be. pulling up in a convertible with some dude, right? And and what does she say? Like, oh, he was going this way. But again, there's like insinuation that she is a free spirit. A free spirit. I was going to say a and loose, also sex, of, Right. And also uh, sexually active. In, sexually in active. But there you go. Loose, right. I guess, is what you'd say. Yeah. Well, I was going to say of loose morals, but. <laughs> Um, but then I was just thinking about, would, would that be what Justin Long would say in House of Darkness? And maybe that's not exactly what I meant, or that's not the you know preferred nomenclature. I'm not. My three sure. sisters, we're not going to kill you. It's fine. This is not, <laughs> this is not how this podcast ends. <laughs> that's okay. Good. Good. This so podcast niece, is not actually happening. This is all in your head. You're you're stuck in you're a dungeon stuck somewhere. In a, so the so the niece. <laughs> to be very apropos, the the niece gets there and she she recognizes that this marriage is terrible and that that, that Octavia is miserable, so she takes her side empathizes with her right she starts a flirtation with the milkman mm-hmm. is, that what, is that what he is he's a milkman um who's also a dirt bike racer in in real life right that's his real passion right that's so she starts a flirtation there there is a kind of i think strained flirtation between herself and claudio but she ends up first in bed with octavia yes right? and and then with the and then with the derp, and then with the motorcycle then, right. Right, right the racer and then but while Claudio is actually watching, watching. Right. and she tells Claudio that of course I saw you watching then right. I wanted it to be you right so then she ends up having sex with Claudio right so there's just like sex everywhere everybody is everybody. doing it in this movie that's why that's I like, gave it to you yeah. <laughs> Brock is that this is a horny movie thank you thank people you need sexy um, sexy sex time going on all the time <laughs> and I was like this this all seems very plausible well, right just yeah. like I mean I, look I mean, when you people in, can people can fuck whoever they want to fuck I don't care right this is great right <laughs> and that's why giallos are great right when you envision Italy isn't that what you envision like just hot people well it, just it, it, doing it used to it be until like the new kind of like uprising of fascism <laughs> sure I don't think that fascists are allowed to have sex. Everything's cyclical. It just That's happens. Just, okay, okay, all right. I mean, I, the pendulum I love, swings I mean, were right. Yeah, I don't like to think about Mussolini having sex, but this niece, she's into it. She, but also, we find out that she has her own kind of ulterior motives. So everyone's Oct- screwing everyone literally, literally and, and figuratively, right? So Octavia's like, I've had enough, right? She ends up killing Claudio one night when he's like, what drunk at his typewriter? If I, if right. I remember right. So Claudio, <clears throat> now that the niece is there, he's he's seen what young, uh, invigorating 
woman can do for his life and he's tired of his wife. And, his and, wife, and he, by and the way, is very attractive and very beautiful, we right. should say. And, and it's very hard to understand. I would say that Claudio is using this as, because he's being egged on by the knees. And he's using this as to reinvigorate his writing. So he starts to write a new novel, which right. is about him killing his wife and boarding her up in the wall. Well, Octavia reads this and out of fear for her own safety, takes a pair of scissors and stabs Claudio. She then employs the niece to who drag the body had down. Seen it. Who had seen him? Right. Yes. Right. Who had seen her kill him? To and put doesn't, him in the doesn't doesn't Claudio tell the niece about the maid? Isn't that part of how like yes. that whole thing? Okay. Yeah. Right. Right. And then Claudio's and in the, the wall. wall. Claudio's yeah. in the wall because yeah. and because so, they're just going to play it off that he ran away essentially. Right. Um, it's not going to start to smell. <laughs> it's a wine cellar. Those Whatever. don't smell. <laughs> Then Octavia employs, it's the milkman, right? It's the, or who does she, this is where I get lost a little bit. To move the maid? No. Wait, no. To throw the oil onto the ground, throw the oil slick to kill the niece and the motorcycle rider so that no one knows what she did. There was a silver haired guy that I got completely lost. So he was there, he was there with her. I mean, he's teamed up with Octavia. Right. right. So but I how think did they connect. That's where I got lost. I have no idea how they connected. Okay. Right? But the niece, in a way, sort of throws a spanner in the works here, right? Because right. Well, now she knows. The, now she knows that Claudio's. But, I mean, but it, her just showing up, right. right? Because I mean, if I understand it right, the the wife and the silver-haired guy had this plan already in place. The niece comes to town. It's like, oh no, right? Now we've got this other thing to do. So right. Because so, the plan the plan could be that Claudio had killed his lover and killed the maid and then ran off knowing right. that he'd be caught for it, and then. Octavia, right. uh, the ultimate goal here is Octavia is free. after. Well, she's but she's free to, to free from Claudio, but she's right. also after his family money. Right, right. And so, and this comes back to the niece because you know the niece is like, I saw this, like it's fine. You know what? I really just wanted the jewelry anyway, right? right? I wanted Claudio's mother's jewelry anyway. And and Octavia's like, okay, cool. Let's have sex one more time, and then you can leave. And then she leaves with with the derp dirt bike guy right and then that's when like the but her yeah but octavia's partner throws oil onto the ground and and the (laughs) right near a very sexy billboard so that the motorcycle guy is distracted (laughs) right he does not see the oil slick (laughs) and kills them both and so octavia has won yay Yay, except but lo and behold right we've 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 left out the entirety of the cat (laughs) named satan I, that could you be any more? No, like, right. Know, it, right. There's yeah. a cat named Satan that was Claudio's mother's cat. Very beloved. Claudio was 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 friendly with it. But Octavia also held doves. She had a cage full of doves, and it, and at, at various points, Satan has been giving. Octavia, the side eye, and it's always kind of there when murders happen, and it's it's you know it plays the the Poe cat role, right? And so at one point, Satan ends up killing Octavia's doves. Octavia grabs the same scissors that she killed Claudio with, and very violently stabs Satan in the eye, and she is seen. And her undoing is because of a poor bag lady who she is takes there the to, recycling. Who takes the recycling. Basically, yeah. She saw Octavia stab the cat. She reports that to the police. The police are like, you know what? Not a big deal, but we got to check it out because someone reported right, it. Right. This is after everything's been dead. Everyone's walled up. Octavia's one. She's ready to, to, to bask in her wealth. And the cops are at her door. And unfortunately, the cops here... The cat, the cat meow. meowing because she walled him up with 
her husband's body. And, and so the cops find the hole in the wall, and now Octavia's on the hook for everyone's everything. murders. Yeah. Yeah. Everyone gets punished. Everyone's terrible. Everyone's dead. Everyone screws each other. Literally. And, and then feed. <laughs> I one just from the title alone. I, I love this movie. Yeah. Um, it's I, I wouldn't say it's the best Yalo that, that that exists. There's the um, what happened to Solange is, is probably mm-hmm. one of my favorite ones. Um, and then of course you got Argento and all the you know. There's there's a whole slew of them, but this one in particular where it really is just people. Ju- I mean, just like gorgeous people jumping into bed with one another. Like every other scene, this would have been a film that as a teenager, had I seen it, I, this, I would, I would have just stolen the tape. I would have never given it back because, <laughs> right. Right. And, you know, again, right. and, you know, not to, not to surprise anyone out here, but teenage boys like boobs, like boobs. Yeah. And, 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 and there to, are and, boobs in this movie and, and there are boobs in horror films. So I would yeah. go and rent horror films because I don't know if my, my, if I just thought that my parents weren't savvy to what was actually going on, but I would rent horror films because in the first half an hour, you typically got to see boobs in horror films. And, and then after the killing start, start, after the killing started, then boobs went away yeah. because people it, got scared. Well, in this, you know, stabbing in, is a metaphor anyway. Just <laughs> But in this movie, the boobs really never go away. They're just there the entire time. They're there time. the entire time. I mean, from like minute one, they're just in your face. Right. Yeah. As soon as the movie starts, it's sex and then... It, yeah, but it's drinking f- and sex, but, and, and, it, and murder. Right? But it really is. It, this this is a this is kind of the, what I blame heart of um, heart of darkness, <laughs> house of darkness. I don't want to <laughs> confuse that with those two movies. This could have been a very simple thirty minute tales from the crypt as well. Sure, I mean, sure. and I'm a hundred percent sure that it exists as a tales from the crypt. But the stretching of it, the stretching it out, and adding all of the the layers of 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 just the intimacy and the and the just. All subterfuge of, and yeah, it's it. I just intrigue because again, if you give yourself over to this movie, and I know we've ruined it to a certain extent, but like when you're watching this movie, like let it sit for a minute and then go back to it. Yeah. It's on Shutter. Like it's fun to realize, oh, okay, this is all what's going to happen, and oh shit, oh the cat. It's like it's what? just so delicious, and it's so. It really, I feel like it's really, really well done to the point where, like, I forgive all of it for like the the plot holes and the and the and the, the kind of fumbling around it and the basic storyline, just because it's so much fun to watch and it's so pretty to watch and 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 horny to watch too. Well, right, I was gonna say most people coming to this film, especially if they go to it after listening to us, are not gonna care about the plot. They're just gonna be like, where are the boobs? Uh, I've, I've devolved into right, like a crass, like 13 We're gonna get a lot of comments of like, um, dear Brock and Jason. Can you stop saying I boobs. thought that there were gonna be way more boobs. You guys led me to believe <laughs> yeah. there were gonna be way more boobs. But no, there but there are, they're just like, they never go away. No, they just, don't. But it also like, everyone's gorgeous. Right. Everyone is just gorgeous in this film. Yeah, Claudio's good looking, the motorcycle guy's good looking. They're all good looking, yeah. And I mean, even the cops have this sense of virility, right? right? And sort of the way that, in presence. And I found found that as fascinating as, well, I mean, not as fascinating as the boobs, but as fascinating as anything else kind of in the story. I mean, because it really just is about like a group of hot people just screwing each other over. Right. And with nothing better, you know, they're they're affluent enough with nothing better to do than to just try to one up each other. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, again, you know, and I don't think that's a new concept in, in movies. But, no, but it, it, it's always fun to watch. Absolutely, it's always fun to watch. All right, a girl walks home alone at night. So the premise of this movie is the premise of this movie is we're we're 
we're watching the citizens of a small town called Bad, Bad City. City, and our hero is a James Dean esque drug dealer, but but with a, with a heart of gold. Well, he becomes a drug. He's not a drug dealer at first. We don't really know what he does, right? I thought he, he. I thought he, he steals the guy. He steals the drug dealer's drugs, and then he becomes. Okay, I that, I miss I get mistake. I thought he because, was working for him beforehand. Uh-uh. Okay, so um, because the, the father, his father. Sorry, to, no, like, no, no, step no, no. over this, but like the father is the drug dealer's customer, right? right? And so, because so, like, remember, he picks up the kid in the car. Yes, no. we are watching the citizens of this of this small town called Bad City, and we are introduced to. Uh, a young Iranian boy who's kind of down on his luck. He's poor, but he's, but he's saved up and he's, he's gotten things that, that make him happy. He has a beautiful Thunderbird that he drives, a vintage Thunderbird that he drives. He dresses like James Dean has a pompadour, but very quickly we're introduced to all the bad people of bad city. So he goes home and he, his dad is a heroin addict and he is his, his beloved Thunderbird gets stolen as payment to the local pimp slash drug dealer. And all along, he also he works as a gardener slash odd jobs guy with a with a local rich girl in town, and so that kind of sets our story up. And then of course we have a girl. Uh, we enter in a girl, and her character is only called Girl, uh, who is a vampire. Who that is basically the. This is very much a spaghetti western, a man with no name. This, very much. This is a Clint Eastwood movie if it's made in you know in the seventies. It's a spaghetti vampire show, right? I mean, that's- and so she comes into town and is, and is there to really clean things up in a sense, and really, and it's ultimately a woman's story where she's there to protect the women who are being put upon by the bad men in this town. Um, the the pimp is you know obviously he's. He's painted with broad strokes. He's got sex tattooed across his neck. It's so cool. <laughs> so cool. Um, so black and white comic book, um, you know, a spaghetti western film. Great music, uh, great score, very stylistically filmed. It's, and and so the our hero and the vampire. So through through a series of events, the vampire ends up killing the drug dealer. Our hero gets his car back, stumbles across a a stash of money and drugs Mm -hmm. that he uses to help his father wean himself off of drugs. But also then he starts selling drugs uh, to, you know, local, he starts selling X to, to the, to the local rich girl. That's basically the, that's where he wants to be. Right. That's, he sees this money as a, as a way out of bad city. He's and, and the, the pretty girl that he works for is seen as a, as an out to that. So he goes to a club to sell some drugs to them dressed as a, it was a costume party, I guess. And he's dressed as Dracula. Mm-hmm. He's the, the girls give him X. He starts to trip. He goes outside and there's there. He meets girl who girl is then obviously brought to him because he looks like Dracula and, and he thinks, seems like a bad guy. Right. And he seems like a bad guy. So her whole intent is there is to protect women. And she's very ominous throughout the movie um she follows around a little boy and basically tells him to be good and threatens Um, him right she follows around the women as well she follows around a prostitute but only there to protect her even though the process the prostitute doesn't actually know that at the time she ends up like i said killing the killing the drug dealer and it's really it's hypnotic and it's methodical and it's it's just stylistic and it's just mes- it's just mesmerizing. The movie doesn't really have that much of a of, of a plot, really. I mean, it's no, not, it, it's, it, it's it, that's as simple as that. The boy meets boy meets girl. Boy meets girl. They 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 go away. I mean, they get out of town. They get out of bad right? city. They're able because, to escape because the girl ends up killing his father. 
right? Because he for, he, because he forces, forces the, the prostitute pimp, the to, prostitute to right, do to, heroin, to, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. so the the prostitute's tripping. Or she's yeah, she's having she's high, and she comes in and sees that the father has she kills the father. She kills the father. The prostitute gets like freaked out. She says, "Yeah, get out of here!" And then the prostitute gives girl the cat, who the father believes is his like wife. Right. And so like the boy finds out that she did this because he sees the cat like with with the girl. Right. And the boy has to make a crisis. He has a crisis of conscience whether right. or not he wants to go with the girl that that killed his dad, and and or still leave town. But he but does. He, and he and he does <laughs> ultimately because I think he understood that like he hated his father anyway. Yeah. I mean, he knew his father was a bad man, so he yeah. knew he knew what that what that situation. That and he was, was only kind of holding him back and down as well. Right. So, In fact, he gives his father the stash of cash and the drugs just to go off and kill himself yeah. and to leave and to, <clears throat> to be you know to 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 not kind be of, a part of his like life. Throws anymore. him out. I mean, yeah. What I loved about this movie was I mean was the style was was this kind of yeah this black and white hyper stylized so it's got this like film noir spaghetti western but still a vampire film and some of the camera shots some of like the tracking dolly shots were just so interesting but i think on a on a theoretical level something else i i found really interesting was the director's commentary on how many types of how many different types of vampires there are like in the world that you know a vampire is <laughs> a, a, a teacher a pimp um a, a regular working boy a father a family member right all of these people can be vampires historians right I, i'm thinking of this being set in i mean a fictional sort of bad city iran Right, right. And you can't, I mean, the same thing, any film set in Iran right now, you can't help but think about all the stuff going on with women protests. True. And, and, and the morality police and how that ties into a movie like this as well. And how these other people are sort of, you know, life-sucking entities. Right. Well, and it's interesting, too, and I know I say that a lot on the podcast, but the... <laughs> So this movie was shot in California, but based in Iran, right. and and filmed with mostly Iranian expats. But what's one of the the, the a cool character? trait of girl is she wears the headdress every time that she goes out. So she's still part of that trapping as well, even though you've got people who don't. I mean, you, you the right. prostitute certainly doesn't. The rich right. girls don't. But yeah, I you know, and again, I, I this. This universe that you that you see for a very brief period of time, it it just is so. I just I want to live in that. I want to go and delve in. I want to know. Her. Like I would love. And again, I know that would ruin it. <laughs> but but her but her, a backstory a her. No. backstory on 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 her because I don't I don't get the feeling that she's been a vampire for very long. If you look right. in her room and the people and the, right. and the concerts that she's seen and the right. places she's been to and the music that she listens to, you get the idea that this is a new thing for her. And this is the the headdress is also a cape for her. So she's the superhero in this story where she's trying to protect the people who can't protect themselves or who've been, it, it really is. It's, it's so it, it, you're, you're drawn in by how beautifully it's shot. It's so lush. Yeah. It's I crazy. Mean, it's, I, I love black and white films like that, that still maintain this, this, this sort of well, you don't, sensuousness in the, you in don't the get the feel that, that, that the black and white is being used to hide low budget or no. it was, that was, that, that was a stylistic choice, choice that was made specifically for a reason, but it wasn't because we're trying to hide the miscovings or we're trying to, to shoot in, in times where we wouldn't have, you know, the budgetary limitary, the limitations of, of licenses and things like that. I just saw the movie, Holy Spider. 
um, seen it. as part of the no because it's not out yet because ah. I saw it at a film festival look at you Jason look at uh. you the <laughs> same director that did The Border okay um, but it is set in set in Iran in a holy city of Mashrad and, and one of the holiest cities with like I think is it the biggest mosque in Iran but it's based on a, on a true story of, of a man that was going around killing prostitutes um, in the city because the city also has the most or the highest level of prostitution so I mean your ironic juxtaposition there notwithstanding oh, right. this forms a kind of interesting almost like double feature in sort of how women are protected or not protected right or who is there to protect women because the, the, the story about this guy going and killing prostitutes like no one wanted to catch him. Right. They were just kind of like, it's fine. Like, okay. Well, because they're okay. less than people, right? Right, right, right. So, and, and they're also, to to want to catch, I mean, I've spent some time in the Middle East and, and, and experienced stories like these. To want to catch that person, you would have to admit to what he's doing. <clears throat> and to then to admit that these women are people are human that are right. worth that are worth saving and, right. and that the acts that they're doing aren't because they're being forced to do them. And, 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 and again, not to denigrate an entire, this happens everywhere, but in these hyper-religious areas, you, you have a tendency where, where law is based on a lot of laws based on their religion. You also then juxtapose that with capitalism and money mm-hmm. and a lot of that. So in, you know, I've spent some time in Dubai, a lot of the, the in a, you go to bars and there are prostitutes everywhere. And it's not like you think, it's not like slimy New York City prostitutes. And again, not to, again, I shouldn't Well, Times Square hasn't been that way in a long time. But you know, I meant that from a movie perspective, yeah. right? Yeah. This is not, this is not, you know, uh, that. This is, you go to a bar and, and all of a sudden a woman will be talking to you and at some point during the conversation, money will come up. It's, it's just, it's just a weird phenomenon, right? But it's one of those things where it's, it's, you we have these laws that we, and I, I know this happens everywhere, but you have these laws where you look the other way because there's commerce involved. But yes, when it comes down to protection for these women, especially in these types of places, it just, I, I mean, I, I, I totally see that. Yeah, and, and there is there is this moment in Holy Spider where a jur- or two journalists go to meet one of the like cleric legislators of the city and kind of confront him on this. Like, well, how do you kind of think about these lives? And he's like, oh, every life is important. So, right. I mean, but there is that, and you sort of know that there's talking out of both sides of the mouth too. Yeah, I, I mean, I thought that these were kind of an interesting kind of conversation piece, these these two films, because I mean, I think part of what A Girl Walks Home at Night is, is sort of saying is like, sometimes you need to watch out for the girl who walks home alone at night. Cause she's, and, and that's the title. I mean, that's the point of the title of this film is that, you know, she's the trouble she's the danger she is the thing that will kind of get you she's the protector right right? and she's kind of the only protector here the the introduction of the american aesthetic with the james dean and the bringing in that iconic american americana into this is an interesting is it's interesting to see how that plays in with what she's trying to say there as well, you know, how much that influence of this desire to for money and for Western things has also influenced or spoken to the Iranian experience. We are now going through a Marxist lens 
on this podcast, <laughs> but 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 no, because I think I think really what you're saying it's is, about time is episode three. Come yeah, on. it is it, it is it is that American style capitalism too, right? So it's not just the James Dean dress, right? It's not, just, it, but it's the car, right? right? It's, the it's the Ford Thunderbird, it's the Ford Thunderbird, it's right? the white it's shirt, American, jean, it's the blue jeans, it's, it's the every, Commodore. Everything's for money, right? I I've got mine. It's it's the it's the pimp drug dealer's apartment, all of the kind of ex or what he thinks is like cool and what women like, right? Big TV, his, right. his dance moves. It's brilliant, by the way, right? Yes. The yeah. kind of club music playing on. So it, it is, it's, it's. I mean, was there Coca-Cola anywhere? There might as well have been. Right. And there probably point. couldn't have been just because of product because placement. Because of yeah, cost, licensing, right? right? <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it is that kind of, that, that sense of capitalism, that sense of, I want to be there. I want to be the rich girl that lives in that house. How do I get there? And she's the one also, she's had Having, she just had a nose job. Right. So you've right. got that aesthetic where she's also then altering herself to, to fit some sort of other ideal. Well, idealized beauty, right? The, the, the image that she's told is beautiful from magazines, from fashion right. magazines, right. from what maybe it's not American fashion magazines, but it's, it's, well, aren't European, they watching TV and it's asking the, her, that's what, isn't that what you want? Right. Yeah. Yes. Yes. This wonderful debut film for this director. I did not like Bad Batch. I, I was going to ask, have you seen her new and one? I have not seen Mona Lisa. Mona Lisa Blood Blood Moon. Moon. I haven't either. It's on my yet. list. I want yeah. to, and maybe we can discuss it next next episode, but yeah. I, I want to see it. Uh, uh, I have not. It just it just came out. And, and so, right. but I I was very, very excited to see the Bad Batch. And I and again, I, I, I don't, I'd have to go back and revisit it. I don't remember much about it. I just remember being very, very disappointed by it all. Um, Which is okay. I mean, that happens. Th- this movie stands alone as just just. She did some TV work. Yeah, and she's uh, she's had some problematic uh, social media stuff. Oh, as well. right, 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 right. right. <laughs> I don't remember all the details. Yeah. Not to, it's not really worth going into. No, but, no, but, no, no, no. But yeah, but I, I, I'm the same. This was I. I really enjoyed this. We'll, we'll, we'll always have this. We, we will always have it. All right. Next time. Next time we will be talking about in some particular order. <laughs> Road Games. Yes, the first exploitation film. Um, Part of the Australian new wave, right? So Road Games, Time Crimes, Cure. Good Night Mommy. Good Night Mommy, and Kuroneko. Yes. Yes. In no no particular order. In no particular order. We will um, save the folded up squares of legal paper (laughs) and legal bad paper on on the table. I'll take them home with me and bring them back. But yeah, so that'll be next time. Um, next time we'll also be talking about, I think, in more detail, right? Let the Right One In? Yeah, so the next episode you hear, we'll also be talking about the Fort Worth Film Club screening of Let the Right One In, uh, which again happens on October 26th at Stage West, 7.30 p.m., 7, 7 o'clock, the doors open free to the public. If you're here in the area, please come out and see it with us. We'll have a discussion of the film afterwards as well. Um, I'm probably going to watch the remake just to juxtapose it as well, and I'm probably watching the remake of uh, Goodnight Mommy okay. as well, okay. just to uh, see, because I it's Naomi Watts, and I yeah. and I want to see. I've heard bad things, but I'm interested to see my take on remakes. Just as a hot button point before we have to leave, if you're going to remake a film, filmmakers out there, do not call it the same title. Call it right. something else, and right. then people will go, "Hey, right. that's a lot like right. Goodnight Mommy," but it was called "Hello Brother." Hello, hello, kids. It was called "What Happened right. to Celine." I, I, I'm. <laughs> I'm not a huge remake fan, period. I will, I say, will, I will watch them too. I tried to watch the remake of What the Right One In. So I'll go back and do that. I'll go and I'll watch the... I like Naomi Watts. I'm a, I'm a Naomi Watts fan. I have so. a feeling that if you hadn't have watched the originals, that both of those films would probably have been fine. 
I remember the Matthew Vaughn mm. let me in uh, version is thinking, okay, it's not that, but it's not bad. Yeah. Um, I don't know about Good Night Mommy. I'm very we'll excited see. to talk we'll about see. the other films though. Yeah. Okay. Great. Well, with that, until next time. Until next time, guys. You have been listening to Why Does the Wilhelm Scream with your hosts, Brock and Jason. If you like today's episode, do us a favor and rate, review, and subscribe in whatever application you use to consume podcasts these days. You can reach us by visiting com. If you are in the DFW area, we would love to see you at a Fort Worth Film Club event. You can learn more about those and find a full schedule at fortworthfilmclub.com. And you can learn about my foundation and how we are trying to foster the next generation of film lovers at realhousefoundation.org. That's R-E-E-L housefoundation.org. Till next time. Ah!